Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello and welcome. I am Jill Hamilton, Senior Editor at Clearance Jobs. Thanks for joining us today. We're chatting with Asha Verma from the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, and we'll be talking with her about her role at CISA and also just about the importance of cyber hygiene. So Asha, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Can you just tell us a little bit about how you wound up at CISA and what your role is there? I would say that I have had a non-typical entry into the government workforce, as in I didn't start my career here. I actually have spent the bulk of my career in commercial private sector. So for me to come into the government at this stage in my career, I'm coming in with a different purpose. And where I've spent my time outside of government has been in helping organizations transform. Digital transformation is a popular term, but essentially you're helping enterprises to maintain their posture or advance their technology posture. And I've been involved in that effort from the beginning of my career. It made sense to come to CISA at this stage in its maturity because CISA is a young agency and it has all the same growing challenges that a young enterprise would have. And so my experience out in the commercial private sector in helping enterprises transform small to large businesses, it really has been the perfect backdrop for being here at CISA to help this agency grow because it is growing very, very fast. And the need and the urgency for our mission is always that constant backdrop. So I would say my entry into the government workforce, having been a Salesforce architect in my past life, a CRM, SRM expert in my past life, software development, all those things helped me to serve my role today at the agency. And my role today at the agency is branch chief in vulnerability management. However, I've been asked to take on an effort within our technology strategy group around being able to collaborate jointly with other agencies and so forth to share really pertinent, relevant cyber data when important and necessary to do so. So it's an important part of the mission, even within the mission. Great. Obviously, October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Let's talk about what would you say is the significance of that month and just taking a a month really to like, obviously, you guys are focusing on cybersecurity all the time, (laughs) but it's like a heightened awareness of it. What's the significance of that? You know, cybersecurity is such a large field. And so much of it is complex. It's poorly understood, especially if you're not in the field itself. It can be a very intimidating word. Just the number of syllables in it, you know, makes it intimidating. But the purpose of Cybersecurity Awareness Month is for folks to understand that there is a world that exists in which they participate, knowingly or unknowingly, that puts them at risk. If you're not cognizant of the world around you, then how can you be the right kind of participant within it? The whole purpose of this month-long focus is to get users, those who participate in technology fields, those who live our lives, our daily lives are surrounded by technology. And in many ways, we're exposed to risk that we're unaware of. And having a month-long focus, messages that are constantly presented to you in that span of time that remind you to be more aware, more alert, to pay attention, perhaps to learn and engage more, to read more, makes our audience, our core constituency smarter. 
It helps them to change their own behaviors, which is sometimes necessary in order to protect themselves. I'm often reminded of seatbelts. You know, seatbelts weren't the most popular. People didn't adopt that right away. But over time, the awareness campaigns around the importance really made a difference to that industry and to safety. And that's what the attempt is here as well. That makes sense. So let's talk about that world that we're in. What are some of the biggest cybersecurity threats that we face right now? Cybersecurity threats really can come from all sides and they can target just about anyone. A miss. Conception is often that, you know, cybercrime, cybersecurity crime happens at some upper echelon in a world that is separated from the average consumer. And that is not the case. In fact, uh, many cyber incidents in recent history have made the news because the fact that they are targeting sometimes the small guy, the independents, the smaller businesses. The, The most relevant example of this that comes to mind is ransomware. Particularly during COVID, during our heightened use of technology platforms, ransomware really grew. It exploded, as a matter of fact. And that's a type of attack that can impact businesses large and small. When you heard names like Colonial Pipeline, that's a rather large, critical infrastructure that was targeted. But ransomware also targeted small businesses in healthcare and small businesses in general. And it didn't matter if you were in a metropolis or if you were out in the rural community. Everyone is an equal target. And it starts with simple things like phishing and social engineering. And again, if folks are unaware that they may be targets, then ransomware can continue to happen. So if people are better prepared, they're better well-read on these topics, and they take simple measures, simple measures to protect themselves, things like creating backups or doing patches when recommended. Those things go a long way preventing those attacks, or even if you are attacked, recovering quickly from them. Because every day that you don't recover is potentially your bottom line. Thank you for that reminder about, you know, everyone's an equal target. You touch on that where there's this tendency to think it's not going to happen to me. It's going to be, it's for those other companies or for, you know, high profile individuals, not for the everyday person or the everyday company, right? So I think that brings us really well to our topic today is cyber hygiene. So what does cyber hygiene mean? And what are some common cyber hygiene problems? Excellent question. And exactly to your point, If you think that you are not likely to be a target because you're too small, you're too meaningless in the world, the fact is the hacker mindset has changed. Those bad actors have changed. They used to be driven by a set of motivations that might have involved vanity, glory, as far as breaking into systems. But now it's about cold, hard cash. Now it's about making money. And so for those small businesses who often can't afford an IT staff or a large presence to protect them from cybersecurity risks, where are they to go? If you're if you're a one-man shop or one-woman shop or a small business, you often don't have the budget for big licenses attributed with products that can help you in this space because they're expensive. So cyber hygiene, when we think of what it takes to maintain good cyber posture, there are a set of things that you have to do to maintain good cyber hygiene. Those are things that if the common small to medium-sized business that doesn't think it's needs to worry about those things, can still participate without much effort, then they'll be better protected. And what I mean by that is there needs to be some level of protection that small, medium-sized businesses take on for themselves. But then there is a set of services that agencies like CISA can help provide 
to make the ecosystem overall more resilient and stronger to this type of attack. So when we talk about cyber hygiene, it's those set of best practices that we should be doing. As any size business, those cyber hygiene practices are sometimes the same thing. Things like patching, doing regular backups, having continuity disaster recovery plans, continuity plans. Those things are part of good cyber hygiene practice. And they should be practiced by every size firm. Often, though, they don't know where to get started. Often it's too intimidating or too overwhelming to know where to get started. And that's where CISA and its cyber hygiene program can be a good start point. Regardless of what size business you are, you can participate in the cyber hygiene program at CISA, which is a set of services that are designed to help you by looking at your networks and understanding what your cyber posture is. Now, you can participate in this program by going to CISA's website and sending an email to vulnerability at cisa.dhs.gov. That gets the process started. For one, we'll tell you what's included in that portfolio of services, but I can quickly tell you that it involves vulnerability scanning, which means looking at your network to understand, do you have ports open that shouldn't be open? Do you have services running that might make you vulnerable? Where is the vulnerability in your cyber posture? So our vulnerability scans is the easiest baseline set of services you can sign up for, but it expands from there. Once you're part of that cyber hygiene portfolio, you've signed up for it. You can also sign up for web app scanning, which we all know web applications and our use of web apps really exploded during COVID. So we have a new service that allows your web apps to be scanned for vulnerabilities. We also have phishing as a capability that we offer for companies to set up phishing campaigns just to see how susceptible is their audience, their staff, their employees to phishing attacks. And we all know phishing is often the start point of much bigger attacks. That's the way in. So cyber hygiene is a portfolio of services that CISA provides to anyone. And they are free. That's the key point here. They are free. As long as you sign up, you do have to exchange some paperwork with CISA as an agency because we want to protect your data. There is a bit of a sign-up process and onboarding, but it's minimal. And what you get at the end of that is participation in a program that sends you a report every Monday or every month that tells you what your cyber hygiene posture is, how much it has improved with your actions if you follow the recommended advice. So it's a great tool for those on the IT front lines, as I like to call it, to evidence their good work to their management, to see what they need to invest in, and to really be, for CISA to be an ally in their fight to protect their enterprises from cybersecurity risk. That is really great. Would you say that the vulnerability scan is the best place to start for businesses? I would say it is because it is the lowest tier to get in. That really is the baseline service that helps inform everything else. I will tell you, CISA does many kinds of scans. And where I work uh, on the side of CISA that I work in, we are what we call It's a term that is quickly being faded out, but I'll use it here. We call it left of boom, meaning left of when an incident occurs. We want to be on the preventative side, the proactive side. So the scans and the types of scans we do are all in that preventative vein, right? So the vulnerability scans that we do are attempt at that, but we also do ethical hacking, which is what makes the world I live in very cool because we hack on behalf of the government just to understand people's cyber posture risk. It's not intended with malintent, of course, but we have many types of assessments we do. Some are far more intrusive. Some 
are far more comprehensive than an automated scan that's done remotely. Some of those are done on site with our red teams and our blue teams. And, and they really go in to understand your architecture, your practices, your business process. And in particular, CISA is concerned with critical infrastructure security. That's part of our name, cybersecurity and infrastructure security, because so much of the daily lives we live rely on critical infrastructure. Things like your power grid, your colonial pipelines, airports, your shipping ports, your spaceports, if you can believe it. So that infrastructure has to be protected just as much as cyber networks do. Right. You know, when I think of the word hygiene, it makes me think of, you know, you go to the hospital, there's all the hand-washing signs. And of course, after COVID-19, all the hand-washing signs were out more as if, you know, and it seems like such a common sense thing to say to people, like, of course, wash your hands when you've been out in a public place. or in anywhere because your amount of germs are going to decrease upon just this simple exercise. And it's not even something that we can build for you to do to solve the problems. Like you just have to have some common sense. To me, it sounds like cyber hygiene is a lot in that vein. You mentioned seatbelts earlier, something along those lines too. Even for like everyday aspects of just practicing cyber hygiene individually, what would you say are some best practices or good examples I would say that at the cost of a few extra clicks and a little bit marginal lower pain, you are vastly more protected. And so this is true on a personal level as it is on an enterprise or small business level. Let me give you an example. Many of us use apps on our phone. Many of us connect to our banking systems and other really important data, our own personal data that we interact with through web applications. In many cases, those web applications have been around for a few years. They're always evolving. They're always getting better, which is good. And in some cases, you may be prompted for things like, hey, would you like to sign up for multi-factor authentication, MFA? In other words, before you can access an app, they may desire to send you a code on your phone and you might have to input that code to get into your web app. That's an extra set of clicks. It didn't used to work that way in the old apps. You could just use your username and password and you were in. Now they want to take an extra measure to correlate one more piece of information about who you are as an identity before they give you access to that very important personal information. Many of us are opted into that or we're asked to choose to opt into that extra bit of click and pain. And I would encourage all of our users to go ahead and do that because you are vastly more protected just with that one simple step. So if you're a banking institution or any app where you have critical information that you want to protect about yourself, offers you the choice to have more than one authentication mechanism, more than just your username and password. It offers you the ability to send a code to your phone or to your email so that you can verify your identity a second way. Please, please take that on because that is a very, very important first step in making you more protected overall as an individual. I would say that's probably my one thing to go as a takeaway from this conversation. But in general, please be vigilant to what you're doing with your social apps online. Be particularly careful of any of these quizzes and surveys where information is being requested of you about your past, about where you went to school or your favorite concert. Recognize that there are many outfits gathering that data in large amounts to understand who you are and to build a profile based on your preferences. And you might be just giving that information away. 
So it is our responsibility to be aware. That's why we have dedicated an entire month to cybersecurity awareness so that people build better cyber hygiene, better personal cyber hygiene, and are more vigilant to the risk that they're surrounded by. Yeah. What would you say is CISA's goal in leading Cybersecurity Awareness Month? CISA is in a very interesting life stage as an agency. We are not very old. We've been around a few years, yet we have this inordinately important mission to reduce the nation's risk. We are the nation's cyber defense agency, and our mission has only gotten more important over the last few years, only become more relevant during the COVID years. And as such, We've been asked as an agency to pivot from being risk advisors to being risk reducers, which means it's now much more action-oriented, results-oriented. And so our intent with Cybersecurity Awareness Month is to build better cyber hygiene that can demonstrate that the ecosystem has become more resilient. Of course, we want to take our efforts during this month to reach out to the community so they understand the services that we offer, the capabilities that we have as an agency that we can offer back out to our constituents. And our constituents really are everyone. And who do I mean? I mean, in particular, the FSEB, which is the federal civilian executive branches. We have authority over them in some fashion. And then there is the state, local, tribal, and territorial, what we call SLTT. We also have some level of natural ability to reach them as a government agency. But then there is the private commercial sector, all of which is voluntary participation. And that is perhaps the most unique facet of CISA, is that public-private partnership that we are building and growing every day. And that's what we need to do. So through Cyber Hygiene Awareness, CISA is hoping to reach its community in bigger, broader, deeper ways so that as a country, as a nation, we can be more resilient to cyber risk. And do you think the biggest step we can take in increasing overall cybersecurity capabilities is just really talking a lot about it and making all those small changes that you've mentioned, you know, that does actually reduce risk and bring about, you know, actionable changes. And I do think the overall, the continuing conversation that helps people see themselves in cyber. Any other resources or tools or people who want to learn more, hear more about this, and they think, we could do better and we want to do better because because when you talk about all the people that CISA serves, right, there's all those pieces touch each other, whether you're, I understand like private sector is voluntary, but at the same time, the government uses all the tools built by industry as well. So it's so important that we're all working together to increase awareness about it, but also reducing the risk in all the different places where we, we, we touch each other with, with cybersecurity stuff. But let me touch on that for a little bit, because you mentioned participation, right? Let's look at my own trajectory coming into the cyber world. That was not my focus coming out of school. But yet, over the course of my career, I realized the importance of this mission. And that's why it spoke loudly to me when I did my career transition into the government. Cyber as a field is vastly undermanned or underwomaned, if you will, for our environment. We need cyber help cyber professionals, and they need to come from all walks in all industries. And so if you think, if you're out there with an interest in this field, but don't think you have a way in or a path in, please reconsider that because CISA is hiring. We are looking for talent because we have to keep up with this mission. And if you read the numbers across the board, there is a severe shortage, a severe shortage of those who are willing to serve 
the cyber mission. And it's at all levels. Do not think you have to be a cyber expert at the top levels to make a difference. Sometimes we need the groundswell. And so we are willing to train, willing to hire those who have had some level of training. There are heaps of programs designed to help build that cyber talent that we are looking for. And so if you have interest, I would encourage people to go to the website, look at the job boards, look at usa.gov and just do a search for the number of cyber jobs that are out there. You will be impressed with how many there are and how much we're looking to fill that workforce. So I know I found my path in. I am encouraging those with any interest to look at CISA and to look at the jobs we have and to come in through our many different programs, one of which is what we call the CTMS program, the Cyber Talent Management System, which creates an avenue for those who have traditionally been in the private sector, commercial sector, to come into the government at the right pay scales, with the right level of authority and the right level of oversight to these various large programs that the government is in charge of carrying out. We need that cyber talent. We're recruiting that cyber talent right from the private sector, where many of the folks that are in that private sector have done some amazing work in this field. We need their help too. I think that really speaks to just the participation you get from more candidates and more people individually joining in, as well as more companies partnering with CISA in order to increase cybersecurity awareness and reduce risks. So thank you so much for sharing all that, Asa. Absolutely. It's a a passion. Clearly, you can see. Yes, I can. Thank you so much for joining us today at ClearedCast. For more security clearance news and defense information, please visit us at news.clearancejobs.com. This episode of ClearedCast is brought to you by the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. 